Hallelujah. Can you clap your hands? He is our champion. We thank you today, Jesus. Come on, why don't you lift your voice louder than your applause? Can you lift high the name of Jesus? He's undefeated. He's our mighty God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship you today, God. We praise you today, Lord. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God. We serve a mighty God. Amen, amen, amen. It is so good to see you here on a Saturday night. Look at your neighbor and let him know it's good to see them here tonight. Amen, amen. And we are so blessed. We are so blessed today to have Brother Raymond Woodward with us. He is from New Brunswick, and uh, he is, although first time to Living Word Church, he is very familiar to this church, and we're very thankful for his ministry, the videos he has online. He's been at our conferences and our camp, a very esteemed voice in our movement, and uh, we are very blessed as a congregation to have him here today. And so why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise as Brother Woodward comes, and let's have our hearts open for what God wants to speak to us today. Amen. Lord bless you, Brother Woodward. Praise the Lord, everybody. What a joy it is to be with all of you. I'm so grateful uh, for the privilege and the opportunity uh, to share the word of the Lord with you. And uh, I'm so impressed that you have taken the time on a Saturday night to be here in the house of the Lord. Thank you for that. Go ahead and be seated. Um, it's just a, a real joy to be with your pastor. Um, we, uh, we connected B.C., uh, before COVID um, for uh, a district event. In fact, um, that was the very last event that I did in the U.S. before uh, they locked us up in Canada, told us we couldn't go anywhere. And uh, so I'm really grateful to him uh, just for giving me the opportunity to come back and uh, be with all of you here in this wonderful church. Uh, what a beautiful church campus this is. And I uh, had the privilege of uh, spending some time with a pastor uh, and some of your ministers last night and the privilege of having uh, lunch today with pastor and your bishop. And uh, these men are highly esteemed in the Wisconsin district and, and beyond. And I'm so grateful to be with them. And uh, it's always a privilege to be with the saints of God. Because while I value all of our leaders that lead us across our wonderful fellowship, the kingdom of God is not measured in leaders, it's measured in saints. And that's the highest calling for those of us that lead and for those of us that serve. And so thank you for being saints of God. And uh, I want to take you to the word of the Lord tonight. I um, want to share something with you that I think will be of help to you. And um, I want to start with a scripture that's very familiar uh, to uh, all of us, I think. Some of you maybe have this on a, a fridge magnet or a little plaque in your house, or if, you, uh, if you're older like me and you still have things like those, do you remember Bible promise boxes? Oh yeah, okay. So you may re recognize this scripture for a number of reasons. Uh, Romans chapter eight from the writing of Paul and uh, verse 28. The Bible says, and we know, someone say, we know, that all things work together for good to them that love God, 
to them who are the called according to his purpose. Someone say all things work together for good. Amen. And may the Lord bless his word tonight. Uh, you may be seated. Paul is an amazing writer in uh, the scripture. He's my favorite in the New Testament as far as those who write. And what I love about the Apostle Paul is that he, um, he just kind of tells it like it is. And all of his epistles, he, uh, he first takes us to the heights and the depths of theology. And then typically he'll turn it and tell us, now therefore or wherefore, this is how you should live because of all of this. So in Romans chapter 8, he's really teaching us some powerful theology, but it's practical. He says, we know that all things work together for good. Please notice that Paul did not say, nor did God promise that all things in your life would be good. Uh, God never promised we'd never have a bad day or a sad day or a hard time or a difficult situation. God just said uh, through the mouth of Paul that if you're a Christian, if you love God, if you are called according to his purpose, that all things in your life would work together for good. Now, I know a lot of apostolic people, and maybe you've met some of them. Uh, they can quote that verse. They may have that verse memorized, uh, but they don't believe that for anything. And the reason I know they don't believe it is when anything bad happens to them, almost immediately they start mumbling and grumbling and complaining and whining. You know, I was teaching through some of Paul's epistles uh, several years back, and he was going through to Timothy, he was going through the qualifications for a leader in the church. And he said, not given to wine. And I just, it stopped me dead in my tracks. And I just said to the church, you know, that, that word wine really needs a letter H in it somewhere. That leaders shouldn't be given to wine all the time. Uh, and, and the saints of God shouldn't be given to wine in all the time either. Uh, but, but some people, as soon as anything happens that they perceive as bad or negative, uh, they really get an attitude like, God's let me down. God never promised us that everything would be good, but he did promise that all things would work together for good if we love him and if we're called according to his purpose. Now, Paul can't just let it sit there because Paul is a brilliant theologian. So in verse 29, he starts into some deep theology. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, the word predestinate is in your Bible. There's a false doctrine of predestination, or there's the true understanding of it. The false doctrine of predestination goes something like this. God loves you, so he's picked you to go to heaven, and there's nothing bad you can do. There's no sin you can commit, because God loves you. He's picked you over here to go to heaven. And somewhere over here, I'm not going to point. I'm just going to point up there. God picked you, and he said, no, you're not going to heaven. You're going to the other place. And there, it doesn't matter what you do that's good. It doesn't matter how much you pray, that God predestined people to go to heaven or hell. Now, that's a false doctrine. Because uh, God's not that unjust, God's not that unfair, and, and God loves, uh, the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So there's nobody that God is predestined as an individual to go to hell. So if that's not true, then 
The word predestinate is in your Bible, so what does it mean? Well, here's what it means. In a nutshell, while God has not predestinated individuals, He has predestinated groups. There is a group called sinners on this earth, and that group is predestinated for an eternal destination. And unfortunately, that destination is hell. It is forever to be separated from God. So here's the point. You've got to do whatever you need to do. You've got to pay whatever price you need to pay. You've got to give up whatever you need to get up. But you've got to get yourself out of that group. And everybody you love or you're concerned about, you've got to get them out of that group. But the greatest news in Scripture is there's another group. And that group is called the church. And so that group, the church, not individuals. Individuals have to make their own decision. Individuals have to choose to follow the Lord. Individuals can backslide. But let me tell you, the church as a group is predestinated to walk on streets of gold and to enjoy the presence of God forever and forever. So you got to do whatever you need to do. Pay whatever price you need to pay. But you've got to get yourself and your family and your friends do everything you can to get them out of that first group and get them into this group called the church. Aren't you glad you're part of the church tonight? It's an amazing privilege. And so Paul said that the reason God's able to do that is because he foreknows, he has foreknowledge. God knows the end from the beginning. And so he can predestinate those groups because he knows all about them before they're ever formed. And it's an amazing thing when you think about how massive and how amazing God is. John calls him in the book of Revelation, the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come, which means God lives in eternity. He inhabits the present, the past, and the future all at the same time. Now, you don't, and I don't. We're creatures of time. Maybe you get up with your alarm clock this morning, or maybe you turned it off because it was Saturday and you didn't have to get up. But you are a creature of time. You typically go to work at the same time, and you come home roughly the same time. And you have routines in your week, and you are a creature of time. You only get seven days a week. You only get 365 and a quarter days a year. That's all you get. You're a creature of time. But our God is not limited by time. He inhabits eternity. So when God steps into time, it's for a purpose. And so Paul understands this, and he says God is so eternal that he can foreknow. He's already been in the future. He lives in the future, the past, and the present all at the same time. We can't even comprehend that. But God knows who's going to heaven. God knows who's going to be in the rapture. God knows everything about the future because he's already been there. That'll twist your brain into a pretzel if you think about that too long. Now, now, here's what Paul's point is, that while you're worshiping God or praying here in this service, in the present, the present's all we've got. We can't go back and change the past. We can't go into tomorrow and fix something or prepare something. We're limited to today. That's all we get is right now. That's the only moment we have. It's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so this is all we've got. But here's the good news about our God. 
He's the God who is and was and is to come. He's forever the same. He lives in eternity. You can be worshiping God in the present right now here in church. And God, while you're worshiping Him in the present, He can go back into your past. He can take your greatest mistake and turn it into the greatest miracle you've ever heard of. You can't do that, but God can do it because He's the God who is and the God who was. I got one better than that. While you're praying here in the present, God can go into your future and He can pull down mountains and raise up valleys and make a way where there was no way because He's the God who is and was and is to come. So Paul's way out in the deep weeds here of theology. He says, for who he did, those he did foreknow, that's us, he predestinated us. Here's God's purpose for your life, to be conformed to the image of his Son. If you're still breathing, God is working on you. He has a lifelong construction project going on in your life, and here's the purpose. He wants you to be like him. If you're not more like Jesus this year than you were last year, you're probably doing this wrong. You need to be growing in God and growing in your faith. And so he says, he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. And then in verse um, 30 and 31, he says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice that all those words are in the past tense. Even glorified, which is describing the rapture, Paul puts in the past tense. Now the rapture hasn't happened yet. Why does he put it in the past tense? Because of our God. God is so amazing that Paul paints a picture of God out here in eternity future looking back at the church in time and saying, I've already prepared a way for you to be called, for you to be justified, for you to be sanctified, for you to be glorified. God says, I've already seen the rapture. I already know who's going. I already know who's going to serve me and be faithful and loyal and God being my witness. I intend to be in that number that's going in the rapture some day. But here's Paul's point. God's already in the future because he lives in eternity. And so he's looking back through time and God can see everything we're walking through. He can see when you're in the middle of a trial. He can see when your family's going through turmoil. He can see when you're suffering sickness. He can see when you have a car wreck, when you have uh, some disappointment, when you get fired from a job. God sees everything that his people are going to go through. And here's what God says. I'm in your past, your present, and your future all at the same time. That means I can take anything that happens to you, and if you'll trust me with it, and if you'll serve me in it, I can take even that, and I can work it together for your good. You may not like it. The devil might have even caused it, but here's what God says. I can take no matter what happens, and I can work it together for your good. How can he do that? Because he's the God who is, and who was, and who is to come. He already knows the end from the beginning. And Paul's punchlines in verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? What do you say if you've got a God that's that awesome? Here's what you say. If God before us, 
Who can be against us? Who could fight the people of God when we've got a God that can go into our past and take all the things we messed up and use them for our good and His glory? Who could fight a God like that who can go into our future and prepare a way? We might not recognize it when we get there. It might seem bad or sad, but when we get there, God promised, if you'll love me and serve me, I'll take whatever happens to you and I'll use it for your good. Now, that's quite a guarantee that God gives us. That is God's guarantee for His people. Now again, God does not promise that everything will be good. Um, it's, he says it'll work together for good. Now I'm looking around here and I don't know because I don't know most of you. I don't know who's a great cook in this uh, room. Uh, some of your faces are lighting up right now, but I don't know whether that's because you're a good cook or because you're fattening somebody else up with your good cooking. I, I don't know. Or somebody's fattening you up with their good cooking. I have no idea. I'm working blind here. You can tell that since I got here, pastor's been so kind. He's taken me out uh, to some wonderful meals, and my anorexia has not acted up once since I've been here. I just want you to know I'm doing really good. Um, here, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I'm not a cook. I could hurt somebody trying to boil water. Um, I'm not a cook. My wife, Beverly, is a wonderful cook. But I do know a little bit about cooking. I've watched enough of it, and I've eaten some of it, too. Um, here's what I know about cooking. You could take uh, salt, baking soda, flour, um, a raw egg or two, some sugar, um, all kinds of stuff. Cocoa, you could take a whole lot of stuff. And alone, you could taste those ingredients, and they don't all taste the same. I did this. I was teaching on Romans 8 years ago now. Oh, many years ago. Maybe 20, 25 years ago. And uh, it was a, a casual Bible study on a Wednesday night. We were actually in a room with tables, and I had people sitting around tables. So I took the ingredients uh, for a cake, a chocolate cake, and I put them all in separate little plastic containers, set them mysteriously in the middle of each table. And at a certain point in the lesson, I said, okay, everybody open your container and help yourself. It was amazing. Uh, the raw egg people were grossed out. Uh, they didn't want to eat that for some reason um, in the middle of church. Uh, the sugar people, all of a sudden, the anointing settled on them. They were just like feeling something. Uh, the flower people, it was like a glory cloud was all around their table. And, you know, every one of those ingredients tastes differently. Some of them, do, they don't taste that great. But when you put all of those ingredients together and you apply some heat, out comes a chocolate cake if you do it right. So that's what God is saying. It's not everything will be good or everything will be perceived the same in your life. But if you'll trust me with it, I can work it together and bring something good out of it. Now, that's a pretty good guarantee. Um, so God's goal for every one of us, uh, look at your neighbor, especially if you're related to them. Look at your neighbor and say, God's working on you. And then please look back at that neighbor and say, and he's working more on you. Uh, that would be great. So don't enjoy that too much, especially if you're married. You'll pay for it later, I promise. So, so here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. God says, I'm working on you to conform you into my image. So what is the image of Jesus? What is Jesus like? Well, the answer is, Jesus is like something that the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. So he wants to grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Uh, this is what Paul writes in Galatians 5. 
519. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. So this is what you are like without God's spirit in control. The works of the flesh are manifested, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, they which do such things shall not, someone say, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not getting to heaven if you do those things. Now, notice that it is the works of the flesh. It's plural, the works of the flesh. Because some people say, well, I've never killed anybody. But see, if you've got hatred in your heart, or if you've got envy in your heart, that's also one of the works of the flesh. Here's the thing about the works of the flesh. You don't have to do them all to get in trouble. Just one of them is enough to get you in trouble with God. And just one of them is enough to keep you out of heaven. It's the works of the flesh. It's plural. But Paul continues. He said, um, but the fruit of the Spirit, everyone notice that fruit is singular, not fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no limit. God can produce these things in your life. It's amazing what He can do. So the works of the flesh are plural. Just one of them is enough to get you in trouble with God and keep you out of heaven. But the fruit of the Spirit is singular. That means that God wants to grow all of these things at the same time in your life. Because some people, they're like this, well, I've got joy. It's like, no, you're just simple. Uh, that's, 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 that's it. That's, you're, you don't have joy. Uh, some people are like, I have peace. No, no, you're lazy. That's, that's what you are. You, you have peace because you lay on the couch all day. That's not peace. See, so you don't get extra credit because you're good at one of them or two of them. You have to have them all. It's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And so that's what God wants to produce in your life. Theologians call speaking in other tongues the initial or the first evidence of receiving God's Spirit. I would argue with you that the ongoing evidence of receiving God's Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. That as you mature in God and as you live for Jesus, it's not enough just to speak in tongues. That's wonderful. That's biblical. But it's more than that. It's supposed to do something to change you. Um, so uh, away with this idea that saints of God should look like they're, you know, baptized in lemon juice and, and, and you know, they, they just, they're kind of cranky. Uh, no, that's not how this works. You're supposed to be conformed into the image of Jesus. So it's God's guarantee that if we'll love him and if we'll be called according to his purpose, it's God's guarantee that he will use all these things in your life, whatever you encounter, to conform you into his image and you'll become more like Jesus. But here's my problem. Not all of these things are fun. Not all of these things are nice. Not all of these things are enjoyable. Some of them are downright despicable. And I don't appreciate all the tools that God has in his tool chest to work on me. I really don't. Um, and before you look all spiritual at me, you don't either. Now, some of the tools that God uses, I don't mind. For example, God uses his word 
to conform us into his image. That's why pastor preaches and bishop preaches and some of these other talented men, they, they, they preach to you. And they're preaching the word of God because God will use his word to convict and challenge and change us. And that's one of his tools to make us into his image. And another one of his tools that I don't mind is God's spirit. Uh, God's Spirit will convict and direct and challenge and speak to us. And that's why we come and we worship and we pray. We're allowing God's Spirit. And God's Spirit is another tool that He uses to make us into His image. And I don't mind that. It's the next one I mind. God uses people to make us into His image. I don't like that one. I have actually had this conversation with Jesus. No word of a lie. Lord, just one time... Could you not use a normal person to work on me? Uh, to send a normal person into my life to knock off my rough edges. Do you have to send the weirdos and the wackos and all of those people into my life? Because, God, I'm not sure I like some of the people you're using uh, to, to harass me to knock off my rough edges. Uh, God uses people. Um, now, if you don't have a problem with that, God bless you. Uh, you're one of the, my heroes. But I have a problem with that. My grandfather on my mother's side used to say, the more I see a people, the more I love my horse. And I think he was a wise old man. I really do. Um, so then there's one more thing <clears throat> that God uses a lot to make us into his image, and that would be what we call circumstances, the things we go through. Now, it's, it's you know, God uses people, but the great thing about people is every night you get to go to sleep and forget about people. It's wonderful. Uh, but your circumstances can get worse while you sleep. You know, you go to sleep and your refrigerator's broke down. You wake up, somebody stole your stove. Uh, it can get worse while you sleep. So circumstances are with us 24-7. And God uses all those things and more. His word, his spirit, people, circumstances, because he wants to conform us into his image. And some people get really upset with this. Like, this is so hard, and God allowed some bad things in my life, and God allowed some difficult things in my life. But here's what you don't understand. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You get into eternity, you're going to realize that your whole life was just a, a, a quick flash on, on the scale of time. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, here's what it does. It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God is using everything you go through, even if it's traumatic or very difficult. He's using it to make you into his image down here. And when you get to heaven, you're going to receive a great reward that's going to make you forget how difficult it was down here. It's an amazing thing. I don't know if you've ever been like me. I have said so many times, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus about that. Anybody ever said that besides me? I'm going to ask Jesus. You know, and, and uh, we were talking today, Bishop and Pastor and I, um, you know, uh, at home, uh, we affectionately call Pastor Jack, who, who's now our lead pastor, we affectionately call him the, the nice pastor. <clears throat> and we affectionately call me the mean pastor. Uh, and here's how that works. Uh, if you need a hug, uh, Pastor Jack's office is uh, right over there down the hall. If you want to be told the truth, come on in. Have a seat. Um, and I will tell you the truth. Um, and, and, and I, I don't mind that at all. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm called by God to tell people the truth. So, so that's a, a wonderful thing. 
Um, sometimes I don't understand why God allows certain things. I've been in ministry for 40 years, and I've seen great people, good saints, pass away from some dreaded disease. And I've seen people that, how do I say this? Beverly tells me not to say dumb or stupid or idiot in the pulpit. Um, so I'm, I'm struggling to describe them. Um, <clears throat> but they're just not good saints, and they're not great people. And they cause a lot of havoc and trouble, and they're weird. And God lets them live to like 150. It's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, uh, your pastors, they're not like this. They're nice men. They're, 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 they're great people of God. They're, they're awesome leaders. But I have a hit list. Um, it's like, Jesus, here's the ones I want you to take, and here's the ones you can let live. And he doesn't pay any attention to my list, and I, it just bothers me. Um, some of you are struggling right now to figure out, is this guy for real, and why did pastor bring him here? It's like, Jesus, why? And I've said so many times, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus, do you know that in the night before he was taken to Calvary, Jesus told his disciples, in that day, you will ask me nothing. You know why? Because one glimpse of him in glory, one glimpse of those streets of gold and those mansions, you're not going to have any questions worth asking. What you walk through right now is working for you an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So God's guarantee for you. Everyone say, God's guarantee. This works. It's that he has a purpose behind every problem. Now, um, people get in storms of life for different reasons. Jonah got in a storm because he was out of God's will. The Apostle Paul got in a storm because other people on that boat were out of God's will. Uh, he said, don't set sail, and they set sail, and they got in a storm, and a shipwreck, and it wasn't his fault. They were out of God's will. It wasn't him, it was them. And then you remember the disciples, Jesus says to them, uh, get in the boat, uh, set sail across the Sea of Galilee, and they obey Jesus, and they get in the storm of their lives. So Jonah got in a storm because he was out of God's will. Paul got in a storm because other people were out of God's will. Do you know why the disciples got in a storm? Because they were in the will of God. They were doing what Jesus said. So you can get in storms for all kinds of different reasons. But here's God's guarantee. No matter what caused it, God can use it for His glory and for your good. It doesn't matter what caused it, how it came about, how long it's been going on, no matter what caused it, if you'll love God and if you'll live a life called according to His purpose, no matter what caused it, God can use it for His glory and for your good. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road, and it's where I'd like to spend the remainder of our time. Pastor told me, uh, you know, we've got services tomorrow, so we need to be done by midnight. So, uh, so I will. I'll honor that. Okay, so here we go. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Some of you are like, ah. some of you, you sucked all the oxygen out of your row right then. It's just terrible. So, so here's how life works for me. Uh, there are four kinds of problems that we encounter in our lives. Four kinds of problems. Now, if you're one of those hyper, super spiritual people and you've identified 39 different kinds of problems, keep the other 35 to yourself. Please do not talk to me after service. I don't want to know about them. I'm having enough. It's all I can do to deal with these four, okay? So here are the four kinds of problems we encounter in life. Uh, number one, 
Everyone say trials. Trials are one of the challenges that we encounter in life. Now, every one of these problems comes from a different source. And this one kind of freaks people out. Because trials are actually allowed by God. God allows trials in our lives. God doesn't cause sickness or hurt or pain. uh, But God allows trials to come into the lives of his people. Uh, He never is trying to hurt you. He's trying to pull you to himself. Some of you have had that experience. You went through something you would never choose again. You didn't like one minute of it, but when you got through it, you actually came back to church and told pastor or bishop or somebody, you said, I didn't like it, but I've never been closer to God than I am right now after going through that awful situation. That's a trial that God allowed. Now, I need your help tonight. So uh, if you'd help me, everyone say trials. trials. Point at the ceiling, say they come from God. Okay, trials come from God. Uh, now, it'd be good if that's all we had to deal with and we knew everything came from the hand of God, but it's not. Uh, there's something else that we encounter. It's another kind of circumstance in life. Uh, everyone say temptations. temptations. Now, temptations do not come from God. The Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil and he doesn't tempt any man with evil. God does not send temptations to you. Temptations come from a different source. Anybody know where temptations come from? From the devil, right? So everyone say trials come from God. Everyone say temptations come from the devil. Is there a basement under here? Okay, because I'm not pointing at anybody that would be in the basement. And we don't know that the devil is like straight down under New Berlin. We don't know that. Uh, the devil could be in Washington, D.C. on tonight. I'm not sure where the devil is physically right now, but we're going to use down, okay, just so we don't get in trouble. So here we go. Everyone help me again. Everyone say, trials come from God. Temptation comes from the devil. And uh, then there's another one. Um, it would be pretty good if all I had to do is figure out, is this God or the devil? I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I could manage that. Is this from God or the devil? But then there's this one. Um, in the Bible, there's something called trespasses. Everyone say trespasses. Now, trespass in the Bible means the same as trespass does today. If you're driving on I-43 and uh, you see a sign and it says no trespassing and you stop your vehicle and you walk through the ditch and you cross over somebody's fence and you encroach on their property, you have now trespassed. You've broken the law, you've gone past the line and you've trespassed on their personal property. That's a trespass. Now, in Scripture, there's a sense of we sin against God, we break His laws, and we've trespassed against God. That's not what this is. This is when somebody else, they do something that hurts you. They do something that wounds you. They do something that causes you grief, causes you pain, causes you to get discouraged. They were wrong. They encroached on your personal space. Don't raise your hand, especially if they're here, don't raise your hand. But, but here's the thing. Sometimes people just waltz into our lives uninvited and unwanted, and they can create pain and havoc and tears, and then they just go on like they didn't do anything, and we're left to deal with it. That's called a trespass. So would you help me? Everyone say trials come from 
And temptation comes from, and trespasses come from others. Keep your hand moving at all times. Do not stop. Do not poke anybody. Do not point at anybody, especially if you are married to that someone. Do not point at them right now. Trespasses come from other people. So, one more. Uh, By process of elimination. Here we go. If trials come from, and temptation comes from, and trespasses come from, Keep your hand moving at all times. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Uh, By process of elimination, there's a fourth kind of circumstance we encounter in life, and it's called trouble. Everyone say trouble. If trials come from God and temptations come from the devil and trespasses come from others, where does trouble come from? Say trouble. Go like this. Say it comes from me. Because sometimes you are your own worst enemy. And sometimes you think it's something that somebody else did, but it wasn't. It was you. Um, um, and, and with apologies to my dear wife, Beverly, who's home in Canada, sometimes she doesn't want me to say this in the pulpit, so I'm standing over here. Sometimes you're stupid. You made a bad error. You took a wrong turn. I did not say that in the pulpit. If she's watching, I didn't say it in the pulpit. Okay, so... So that's what we encounter in life, at least those four kinds of circumstances. Here's where people, and this is what I want to share with you tonight, here's where many people get stuck in their relationship with God. Because it's God's guarantee that any of the above, whether it's a trial or a temptation, whether it's a trespass or a trouble, if we love God, if we're called according to His purpose, It will work together for our good. And sometimes people say, but it didn't. And here's why. Because we have to be called according to His purpose, not our preference. And the Word of God tells us how to handle every one of those four circumstances. And we have to learn to handle them differently. You don't handle a trial like you handle a trespass. You don't handle a trouble like you handle a temptation. Every one of them demands a different response. And in my experience, with four decades of pastoring, this is where people get stuck. Things happen to them in life, and they respond wrongly, and then they want to blame God. God's guarantee didn't work for me. Well, the guarantee would have worked if you'd have handled those things according to His Word. So that's where uh, I I want to try to help us uh, today. God's guarantee is like the guarantee or the warranty on your car. It'll work if you handle it right, and if you do what uh, is prescribed in the guarantee and the warranty. So, uh, let's go back through, if you would help me. Uh, everyone say, trouble comes from, come from me. So, if trouble comes from me, that means sometimes I do the things that are wrong, that hurt me, that hurt others in my life, that uh, mess up my relationship with God. And, and that's true of me. Um, my idea of vehicle maintenance is change the oil every seven years, whether it needs it or not. That's my idea of vehicle maintenance. If you ever see me broken down somewhere in a car, it is not God's fault. It is not even the devil. That's me. I did that. Trouble comes from me when I don't handle things right. Um, Now, by way of confession, um, sometimes 
Um, I, I've probably been a, a little, a little uh, arrogant in the past when I was younger. Um, I always thought it took a special kind of stupid for somebody to catch an article of their clothing in a paper shredder. I just always thought that was really dumb. Until one morning, early, early, this has been years ago, I was in the office at CCC early on a Sunday morning. I had finished my sermon for the morning. I had some other documents on my desk, and they must have been of a confidential nature because uh, nobody's there in the office. I'm there alone. It's early on a Sunday morning, and I I wandered into our photocopier room where we have the big photocopier. And back then we had a fax machine, that cutting-edge technology, and um, probably had an eight-track player in the corner. Uh, and, and, and we had the beast, uh, the paper shredder. It was massive. Um, and it made horrendous noises while it was, uh, you know, dicing up that paper so that nobody could read it. And... Um, on that morning, whatever document I had, I just, I'm totally innocent, you know, I just leaned over the paper shredder to put that document in there, and all of a sudden, that beast reached up and grabbed my necktie and started pulling it uh, down into the shredder, and the next thing I heard was something that sounded just about like this, and um, it's getting tighter up here, um, and, and, and you know how it is, um, they say if you uh, your car spins out of control a little bit on an icy Wisconsin freeway, uh, that your life flashes before your eyes. Have you ever heard that? It works with paper shredders. Um, <laughs> it does. And um, so I'm seeing headlines in, in my mind. Pastor strangled in office early on Sunday morning. Church in mourning. A few people rejoicing. I'm seeing all the headlines, you know, and the subtitles and... And I'm imagining the art. This is all flashing before my eyes while I'm being pulled closer and closer. And finally, I flailed my, there was no escape. I flailed my arm around and I finally caught the power cord in my hand. And I yanked that out of the wall and I saved my life. And I'm still here today. Um, hmm, yeah. And I still have that necktie. I just. Loosened it a bit, slipped it over my head. The knot is still in it, and the bottom six or eight inches are shredded beyond belief. They're little narrow strips of cloth. Um, I put that up. I could take you right to where it is uh, in a special drawer in my office at home. I set it up for a memorial before the Lord to remind me that sometimes, Raymond, you are the dumb one. Sometimes you create your own problems. Because here's the thing. Here's what I did not do that Sunday morning. I did not walk to the pulpit and look at the church and burst into tears and say, Church, the devil tried to kill me today. The devil didn't have anything to do with that. If the devil was anywhere, he was probably sitting on the office desk, slapping his legs and <laughs> Woodward's going to kill himself and I can take a vacation. The devil didn't do that. Somebody say, I did it. And so sometimes we cause our own trouble. When you are the one that made the wrong turn, when you're the one that sinned, when you're the one that had the bad day, when you're the one that damaged the relationship, there's only one biblical response for dealing with trouble. And let me just give you a preview. It is not blaming somebody else. 
It's not blaming God. It's not blaming your spouse or your parents or your siblings or your kids or your friends. It's not blaming others. That's not how you handle trouble biblically. There's one biblical way to handle trouble. Psalm chapter 31 and verse 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Watch this next phrase. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my belly. The psalmist said, I am weeping. I'm calling out to God. I'm crying. What's he doing? Everybody put your hands like this. Somebody say, repent. That's how you handle trouble. That's how you handle when you mess it up. You repent. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is when you're walking this way and you turn around and you walk the opposite direction. That is repentance. And it is the only way to handle trouble that you cause. God promised no matter what causes it in your life, I'll use it for your good and for my glory if you'll handle it right. That means if you sin, if you are the one that created the issue, the fastest thing you need to do, the quickest, most uh, available option, you got to get yourself to a place of prayer and say, Jesus, please forgive me for that. I'm walking away from that mistake. I'm walking away from that sin. I'm not going to do that any anymore. Everyone say, trust Trouble comes from me. Go like this. So I need to repent. Everyone say repent. Repentance is not a burden. Repentance is not negative. Repentance is one of the greatest privileges that the people of God have. Imagine that I can mess up and I can go to Jesus and say I'm sorry and he puts it under his blood shed on the cross of Calvary and he doesn't hold it to my account anymore. So we need to be quick to repent. The Bible tells us uh, to let not the sun go down upon your wrath. If you're messed up in your attitude, don't you let the day end before you repent and say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me for that. That's so important. So everyone say, trouble comes from me. So I need to, everyone say, temptation comes from Washington. No, not Washington. Uh, Temptation. Comes from the devil. Now, I don't handle temptation the same way I handle trouble. And that's where people get stuck. Because a lot of people try to handle temptation like they handle trouble. They collapse into a puddle of tears. Oh, God, forgive me. I'm being tempted. You haven't sinned yet. It's just the devil trying to pull you back to your old life. Trying to pull you back to your old sins. Trying to pull you back to your old friends. He's trying but it's just a temptation right now. So you don't just start crying, oh God, please, because you haven't sinned yet. you got to have a different response when it's the devil. And here's the response. And it comes from uh, somebody that I also love in Scripture, um, the Apostle James. And you got to cut James some slack because James grew up in the same house as his older half-brother, Jesus. Mary and Joseph, Jesus was virgin born, but Mary and Joseph had other children. And one of them was the guy that wrote the book of James. He's scarred. He has psychological problems. Every day of his life, he heard his mother Mary say, Jesus always makes his bed, James. Jesus always eats his bananas, James. Jesus doesn't do that, James. James, why can't you be more like Jesus? Every day of his life. So he's scarred. James does not play. So when he tells us something, he's just like, pow. 
And here's what he says. He tells us how to handle temptation. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Watch. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Everyone say, temptation comes from the devil. Now put your hands out like you're trying to stop a freight train. Push. Everyone say, resist. That's what you do when you're facing an hour of temptation. You don't repent. You haven't sinned yet. You resist. You have a right to fight when it comes to the devil trying to encroach on your life. The devil will attack until somebody fights back. And so you've got to learn that when the devil's trying to pull you back to your old life and your old habits, you don't just sit there and, and, and wait until he's overcome you and overtaken you, and now you've got to go repent because you've sinned. No, at the first sign of temptation, you start resisting. You push him back out of your life. You don't have to take what the devil does to you. You don't have to take the devil waltzing into your home and creating all kinds of havoc. You don't have to. Everyone say, temptation comes from the devil, so I need to resist. So resistance is different than repentance. Repentance is what we do when we cause the trouble ourselves. But resist is what we do when the devil is trying to tempt us. And then there's this one. This is the one that we struggle with, I think, the most, maybe. Everyone say trespasses. Anybody remember where trespasses come from? From others. And this is some of the hardest stuff we deal with as children of the Lord. Because it's not God allowing it. It's not our mistake. It's not the devil causing it. It's other people. Um. And some people try to handle a trespass when somebody else hurts them, when somebody else wounds them. They try to handle a trespass like they handle a temptation. Somebody hurts them and it's like, I resist you in Jesus' name. Well, knock yourself out, but that's not how the Bible says to handle this one. You can cast the devil out. You can't cast them out. They're going to be here. You cast them out all you want. They're still going to be here tomorrow. Um, short of murder, and then you're going to have something that you need to repent of. So it's just a no-win scenario. So, so here's the thing. Trespasses are hurtful and harmful and awful. And we're having a little bit of fun studying the Bible tonight, but let me tell you that when somebody else comes into your life unwanted, uninvited, and they create hurt and havoc and pain and sorrow and abuse and misuse in your life, I preach to people, I, don't, I wouldn't even want to guess how many people have sat in audiences where I've preached over the last 40-some years, and they were abused by someone. And sometimes, as we all know all too sadly, some of those situations are so dark and so traumatic and so awful that they're scarred. And they sit in our churches, and it's not a light thing for them, and it's not an easy thing for them. And if it's you, that just me talking about it stirs that up in your, in your mind and in your memory. And, and, and you don't handle a trespass that comes from somebody else. You don't handle it like other situations. Jesus told us how to handle a trespass. Jesus. To tell us how to handle a trespass, he always would tell a story. In the Gospels, it's always the same story. Jesus told this story about a king 
who loaned a servant a million dollars. And the servant took that million dollars and went out and wasted it, squandered it, lost it. And now the servant comes back to the king and says, I can't repay. Now, is the servant wrong? Oh, yes, he's wrong. Does he owe that debt? Oh, yes, he does. Is the king in the right? Yes, he is. Does the king have a right to be repaid? Yes, he does. But as Jesus tells that story, every time he wants to illustrate how to deal with a trespass, he tells the same story. And in Jesus' story, that king in his parable was smart enough to realize two things. Number one, I'm holding in my hand an uncollectible debt. No matter how much I talk about it, no matter how much I get angry about it, no matter how much I get sad about it, no matter how much I converse with all kinds of other people about it, it's an uncollectible debt. The servant has no resources to pay me back. I'm the king. I can put a poster up on every tree in the kingdom. I can make a proclamation throughout the width and the breadth of my kingdom and I can humiliate that servant. I can let everybody else know how bad and how wrong and how evil that servant is. I can go down to the debtor's prison every day and I can say to my servants, hit him again, beat him again, punish him again, don't feed him today, uh, let him starve for a week. I can humiliate his whole family with a proclamation. I'm a king. I, I can do whatever I want to punish the man who did me wrong. But in Jesus' parable, that king was smart enough to realize that no matter what I do now, it's not going to result in even one dollar being paid back into the royal treasury because that servant has no resources to pay me back. So I am holding in my hand an uncollectible debt. I cannot tell you how many, probably hundreds of people I've met that are holding in their heart an uncollectible debt. Somebody did them wrong. Somebody hurt them. Somebody sinned against them. Somebody gossiped about them. They lost a job because of somebody else. They lost a friendship because of somebody else. They, they lost their innocence because of somebody's abuse against them. It's horrendous. It, it just strikes disgust and disdain into our hearts that somebody else would be so evil as to do that to them. But here's the problem. No matter what they do now, it doesn't fix what happened in the past. They can talk about it. They can enlist other people to hear their side of the story all over again. And, and think with me, even if it was possible for that person that did you wrong to come up in front of the church and stand on the platform and say, I was wrong and they were right and I sinned and I did wrong. What good would that do? It would just dredge it all up again. And everybody would think about it again. And everybody would talk about it again. And you'd be the focal point of all kinds of unwanted attention again. Can I tell you, many times in life, because of what people do to us, we are holding in our heart an uncollectible debt. And I, I've, I've talked to people, the person who hurt them is not even on this planet anymore. We already had their funeral, and they died. 
They're not even here. So there's no way to fix it. And yet I talk to precious people that sometimes years later, they're all bound up emotionally because of what somebody did to them. And they don't realize they're holding in their heart an uncollectible debt. This is Jesus talking. That king in his story was smart enough to recognize two things. Number one, I'm holding in my hand an uncollectible debt. And number two, I'm a king. I've got a kingdom to run here. I've got better things to do with my life and with my time than going and punishing that servant every day, asking the royal treasurer, did he pay yet? Did he pay yet? Did he pay yet? I've got better things to do with my time than focus on something that happened to me in the past. And so in that parable of Jesus, that king recognized both things. I'm holding an uncollectible debt and I've got a kingdom to run. Can I tell you, so many times, God's precious people, filled with His Spirit, baptized in His name, faithful to His church, they're carrying unnecessary burdens in their heart because of what somebody else did to them. And sometimes it can go on for years or even decades. And I'd just like to uh, give you a little bit of help tonight if that happens to be you. Number one, you're holding in your heart an uncollectible debt. It doesn't matter what's done now. It's not going to feel better. So you have to realize that. Secondly, you're a child of a king. we got a kingdom to build here. You've got better things to do with your time than fixate on something that happened to you 25 years ago or 25 months ago. You're a child of the king, and we've got his kingdom to build here. And you deserve to have your joy back, and you deserve to have your peace back, and you deserve to have your victory back, and you don't need to be hamstrung by something that happened to you eons ago. It is Jesus who tells us how to deal with a trespass, and he does so in the only P.S. at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Here's what he says, Matthew 6 and 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So if you don't get this right, you shut down God's work of forgiveness in your own life. So this is really important stuff. Now, some people say, well, I want to forgive them, but, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. Please hear me. Not one time in the Bible does God equate forgiving with forgetting. You may remember it every moment of your life until you die. That doesn't mean you can't forgive them. Not one time in all of the Word of God does God equate forgiving with feeling better. It may still be a burden in your heart for years to come. Just because you still feel it doesn't mean you haven't forgiven it. And here's why. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is a choice. And if you make that choice, you say, I, I don't know if I want to forgive them because I just set them free if I forgive them. No, 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 no. You set yourself free if you forgive them. That's who gets set free. It doesn't matter what happens to them. It matters what happens to you, my brother, or you, my sister. It matters what happens to you. So um, help me out here. Everyone say, trouble comes from me, so I need to... Repent. Everyone say, temptation comes from the devil, 
So I need to resist. Now this one. Everyone say, trespasses come from others. I'd like you to take your hand and grip it just as tight as you can until it hurts. And then say, release it. That's what you do with trespasses. You release them. And if you will release them, here's what God promises. I'll release you. Now, that's a great promise. That's part of his guarantee. So that's what you do, no matter who it was, no matter what they did. I know it may have been way more traumatic than than anything I've mentioned tonight. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. But God's remedy is still the same. You've got to, everyone say, release it. Because if you'll release it, something happens in your spirit. And that uncollectible debt, you just lay it aside. And here's what you're saying. Today I'm making a choice to release that. I may have to make the same choice this afternoon or tomorrow morning. But I'm going to release it right now. And I'm going to have my joy. And I'm going to have my peace. And I'm going to have victory today because I'm going to release that. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter if they get away with it. Here's what I know. For me, I'm going to release it. I'm going to follow God's word. Because God's guarantee is, listen, no matter what caused it, if you'll handle it right, he can use it for your good and for his glory. There have been people that have done things and said things about me years ago. There have been people that I dealt with that treated me so wrongly and unfairly. And right now, I'm standing here, and honest to God, I'm struggling to remember an example. Because years ago, even as a young man, I just released it. And after time, you just, sometimes you're going to have to do it day after day. I release it tomorrow morning. I release it Monday morning. Oh, I release it Tuesday afternoon. I release it. But if you'll keep doing that and handle it the way God said, you will get to a point where your joy overcomes your pain and where your peace overcomes the trauma and where your victory overcomes what you walk through because of that person. I promise you on the authority of the Word of God. Um, I was uh, walking through one of your airports several years back. Um, I don't remember what city it was. I remember the concourse was one of the sloped concourses because I was headed down and this professional young couple was coming up and they were traveling and I don't know where they were going. They looked really sharp, kind of uh, the word when I grew up was preppy. Uh, they, they just looked cool. They were a great young couple. And they had this little girl with them. Uh, she's like three or four years old, maybe four. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm a parent and a grandparent. And um, I'm, I'm watching them walk and she's like, quite a distance behind them. And, and my first instinct as I'm walking toward them is, you're not very good parents. Like that little girl's way behind you. But then as I got closer, I realized they didn't have to watch her. Um, she was dragging one of those little hard shell cartoon carry-on suitcases, like a kid size. She's just dragging that, swinging that all around. I don't even know if the wheels were touching the ground most of the time. She's just swinging that thing. And the reason they weren't really paying too much attention to her is she was singing at the top of her lungs. Uh, they knew exactly where she was at all moments. If the singing stops, we turn around and find her where she went. Because everybody in the terminal that was close to her knew where she was. And she was singing one of those beautiful old hymns of the church. Um, let it go, let it go. And she was just singing and singing. She was so cute when I walked by, I said, sing it, sister. 
I wish I could give that gift to some people in God's house. Just let go of it. Release it so you can be free. You deserve to be free. You deserve to have joy. You deserve to have peace. God paid for your victory. So just somebody say, release it. And God will set you free. So let me come to a close tonight. You're so kind and thank you for your attention to the Word of God. Help me one more time. Um, Everyone say, trouble comes from me. So I need to, everyone say, repent. Somebody say, temptation comes from the devil. So I need to resist, yeah. Somebody say, trespasses come from others. So I need to release. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, yeah, that's all good, Pastor Raymond, but I've been sitting here listening to you tonight, and I love the Word of God, and I've been searching my heart while you've been talking. And I do want God to use things for my good, and I do want to grow, and I do want to be conformed into His image, and I do want to handle things biblically in my life. And, and I've been searching my heart while you've been talking. And um, I know what it is to sin. I know what it is to mess up and make mistakes. I know what it is to create my own trouble. And I know what it is to have to repent. But I've searched my heart, and I'm not sure that's what it is tonight. I've searched my heart, and I'm not being arrogant. I'm just being honest. I'm not sure that it's me that created this issue I'm walking through. And I've searched my heart while you've been talking, and I know what it is to go through an hour of temptation when the devil is trying to drag me back and he's trying to attack my mind and and he's trying to pull me into old habits and old relationships and old activities and he's fighting hard. And I know what it is to have to resist him and push back and fight against him. uh, But I don't think that's what it is tonight. I've searched my heart. And you know what? I know what it is to have people do wrong against me and I know how bad that feels and I know how hurtful that is and I have struggled at certain points in my life to release those things that other people have done against me and it's hard and it's painful and it's a lot of work but I don't think that's what it is tonight in me. But I still feel bad and I'm still kind of sad and life's still kind of tough right now and I don't know what that is. Yeah, you do. Because there's a fourth kind of circumstance we encounter in life. And by process of elimination, if it doesn't come from your mistake or other sins against you or the devil's temptation of you, then by process of elimination, it's a trial. Do you remember who allows trials in our lives? It's God. Sometimes, for reasons only he knows, God allows trials to come into our lives And those trials are hard. And we don't like them and we don't want them. But we can trust God because he said through the pen of the Apostle Paul, for we know that all things, good things, bad things, hard things, sad things, all things work together for our good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And sometimes God allows trials in our lives. Trials are not fun and trials are not easy. I've gone into hospitals to visit saints of God and it just baffles my mind why good people like that don't get healed when we've prayed for them so many times. 
And it just boggles my mind why this family has had two funerals and they live for God and they love God and those people that died were serving God and loved God and I just don't understand. But here's what I do understand. Sometimes for reasons only our eternal God knows. Sometimes for reasons that the one who is and was and is to come, only he knows. Sometimes he allows his people to walk through trials. And there's only one biblical way to handle trials. You don't resist them. Nope. And you don't collapse into a puddle of tears and say, oh God, I must be doing something wrong. No, that's not how you handle a trial. We learn how to handle a trial from the Apostle Paul himself in the very last letter that he would ever write to a church on this planet. He wrote to a church in Philippi. And what's unique about this particular letter and about three other letters at least in the New Testament record is that he wrote this particular letter from a prison cell. He was there through no fault of his own. All he's done has been faithful to God. All he's done is preach the gospel. And he's there in a prison cell through no fault of his own. And it must have baffled Paul's mind as to why God would call him to preach to the Gentiles and then allow him to spend so many months and years locked up in a prison. And yet God allowed that in Paul's life. And in the very last chapter of the very last letter that Paul would ever write to a church, we learn how to handle trials. Philippians 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Would you help me one final time and then we're going to come pray. Um, everyone say, trouble comes from me. So I need to... Mm -hmm. Everyone say, uh, temptation comes from... So I need to... Everyone say, trespasses come from... So I need to release and say this one. Say trials come from God. So I need to rejoice. And that's how you handle trials. When you don't understand, you trust God. When you don't understand, you worship Him all the way through. So tonight in this service, I don't know what you may be walking through, but here's what I know from the Lord. No matter what caused it, God can use it. He can use it for His glory, but He can also use it for your good. And it's God's guarantee that if you'll handle it right, it'll work. So, you may be needing to repent. You might be needing to resist the devil. You might be needing to release somebody else that's done something wrong to you. Or maybe you just need to rejoice in the Lord in the middle of whatever you're walking through. But whatever it is, I'd like you to stand right now and I'd like you to just begin to respond to the Lord. Maybe we could all respond by just lifting up our hands and then lift up your voice and just begin to worship God. Because here's what I know about God. He's a faithful God. He's not going to allow anything in your life that He doesn't have a purpose to use it for His glory and for your good. So even if it's a mess that you made, you can repent of it and He'll use it for His glory and your good. Even if it's 
the devil attacking you. You can resist him and God promises, I'll use it for my glory and your good. Even if it's something somebody else did to you, you can release that tonight and God promised, I'll even use that for my glory and for your good. And if it's none of the above and it's a trial allowed by God, you can rejoice your way through it. It'll baffle the devil and it will please heaven and it will bless you and God promises I'll use that for my glory and for your good the pastor's been so kind to allow me the freedom of this pulpit tonight and I don't know all your customs but I'm pretty sure about this one it's normal for us to close services by praying together as God's family so would you just step out of where you're standing and would you come down to the front and we're going to gather together and when we gather together we're going to pray together And here's one last scripture I'd like to share with you tonight. In the last chapter of the book of Job, God says in that book that the Lord turned the captivity of Job when Job prayed for his friends. God did something for Job that turned his situation around when Job prayed for his friends. So that's what we're going to do right now. Would you reach over to somebody, maybe on either side of you, lay your hand on their shoulder, and I don't want you to just stand there beside them. I'd like you to pray for them and let them pray for you and lift up your voice and pray because when we pray for each other, God's strength comes into a service like this. When we pray for each other, God's spirit, it touches us and God can do anything. He can use it for His glory and He can use it for your good. Let's pray one for another for a few minutes before we go home tonight.